All right, welcome into the first episode of Negative or Positive Vibes in the offseason. The season is officially over. Wrapping up today as Spilly and I are taping here on Friday, November 3rd, uh, 5 o'clock Eastern time. The parade is done in Arlington. The Texas Rangers are your 2023 World Series champions. I'll be honest with you, Spilly, I still have a hard time believing it. You know, people think, oh, does it feel real? And obviously not being in uniform uh, is a little bit different. But just thinking about covering this team now for seven years, for me and thinking about how the regular season ended and how difficult the postseason seemed at the time that it was going to be to see this team go on the run that they went on 11 and 0 on the road uh, to go through Tampa, to go through Baltimore, to take down the Astros after being down three to two uh, after five games. I thought they were dead in the water at that point. And then to go in Arizona uh, against the Diamondbacks and take that world series in five games. I also thought there was no way one team or the other after it went 1-1, was going to sweep in Arizona, whether it be the Diamondbacks in Arizona or the Rangers in Arizona. They all, you know, that whole road record thing, that's kind of cool, but that's not, there's no way that's going to keep happening. Of course, we're going to get a game six, at least back in Arlington. None of that happened. Uh, the Rangers take care of business. It was a really good, I thought, World Series. You had your first opportunity uh, to call the international feed for Major League Baseball, which was really cool to see you uh, get that chance. Of course, you did all that work for us with SiriusXM as well. You were a busy, busy man uh, during the postseason, but especially during the World Series. But it was a good one. I mean, if you're a baseball fan and you like good stories, this was a good story. The Texas Rangers start out as the Washington Senators in 1961, become the Texas Rangers when they moved to Arlington in 1972, and they get their first ever championship. It was a wild ride, to say the least. And like I said, Spilly, there's still that part of me that is going, I can't believe they pulled this thing off. It still doesn't feel real. Uh, well, first off, I hope you get a World Series ring uh, because you were <laughs> you were the broadcaster for the Rangers throughout the regular season. So, fingers crossed they they make a size thirteen ring for you uh, next 13. year. Thirteen. I don't have that. My knuckles aren't that fat, and they usually do I, give I, the broadcasters. You know, I'm like whatever they do, they do whenever they decide. But uh, I know that for all the buddies that we know that have called games for World Series winning teams, they usually give them rings. Uh, so I, ho- I hope you get one. I really do. It'd be really cool because you were always just shy of, of getting a World Series ring. So uh, I hope you get one and, and you get it through this team because it was a fun team. I, I think a lot of things that stood out for me as I watched them down the stretch. And this was was a group that spent 100, was 160 days in first place. They, they lost the division on the last day. Uh, by the way, <laughs> when Alex Bregman celebrated with this team, you know, a bunch of people were wondering, what would happen if the Houston Astros didn't win the division? I guess we'll never know. Well, Corey Seager said the same thing at the parade today, mm. and it was beautiful. Corey Seager says, uh, you know, a bunch of people are wondering what would happen if the Rangers didn't win the World Series. I guess we'll never know. And uh, I kind of love that. Shocking <laughs> from him. Love- He's such a straight shooter, Spilly. That was amazing. That was an amazing moment, and the reaction from his teammates was really cool as well. Well, I, and I do think I, I, well, first off Seager, you know, he's kind of a, he's an interesting cat in that he is so good and, but he's such a quiet superstar that you get nothing from him. You you get like legitimately you get nothing from him. Like there's no good quotes. You don't see him. Uh, he's very quiet. He does his own thing, but watching him this postseason and, and like going back to, Game seven, when when he hit the home run uh, off Christian Javier in the in the first inning, I I heard from like 
Austin Hedges and Nathaniel Lowe and all these guys. When when Seager came into that dugout during that ALCS, so that that home run it was a solo shot made it feel like it was an eleven round homer because like they were looking at him and he was like let's go and they and he showed this emotion that that they weren't used to seeing and they're like dang we can beat the Astros you know like because like they felt like they could win but they weren't really sure that they could win especially in a, in a hostile environment game seven and they're like oh damn we could beat these guys and he did it in game one of the World Series and we saw so much emotion from uh, Corey Seager that we just weren't accustomed to. And I think at the end of this World Series, and even as we're seeing it in uh, on the parade that, you know, he basically quote tweeted Alex Bregman with his <laughs> own stuff. Yeah. Texas Rangers fans are probably feeling pretty good about Corey Seager. And my guess is you're going to see a huge increase in Seager jerseys, even mm. though he's been that quiet, under the radar superstar, I think this last month he's just been like, "Oh hell yeah, we get we got a dude, dude. We don't just have like a regular dude because he's going to end up second in MVP, but we have like a dude, dude." Mm-hmm. And like I, I think the Ranger fans are now, you know, like they've they understand Seager a little bit more to where they can appreciate him more. I would I would agree. That's a really good point. And you know that first year for him, I think for any introvert. You go to a new team, you go to a new situation, you lay back and you kind of take everything in. You're not going to be out front, right? You're doing a lot of observing. And his first year, of course, was coming off that CBA getting done. And so we had a shortened spring training, jump right into the year. There was not a real kind of get to know you period in there, especially even with his own teammates, right? Was it three weeks that we had a spring training? He brought that up and got off to a slow start. Marcus Simeon said the same thing. It kind of took them a while to get going and get comfortable. And that matches the personality of Corey Seager. And he's, you know, he's, I like that phrase. Like he's a lunch pail guy. He just goes and he does his work and there's not a lot of emotion to what he does, but because we got to see a little bit of it, right? We got to see, first of all, for Ranger fans, a couple of really great seasons. Last year was a good one. This one was a great one, right? Last year was a good one because we saw Corey Seager set a career high in home runs. So that was really cool. His first year in a Ranger uniform, but the other numbers that we're used to seeing from him really didn't follow. Right. When you think about the OPS for him last year at 772 for a guy that had been in the 900s, uh, the previous two seasons, his career is just shy of 900. So while the home runs were cool and that was fun to see, and he, and he set a career high by a, a long mark, there were still some other things missing there this year. What a difference. It's Billy. He hit 245 last year. 327 this year to go along with another 33 home runs, um, but 18 more doubles in there, led the league with his 42, an OPS over 1,000. If it wasn't for Shohei Otani, he's probably the MVP of the league, and it was only 119 games, but he's a qualifier when it comes to uh, looking at things like batting titles and whatnot. It's it's the best season he ever had in his career, a 170 uh, OPS plus, right? And so you have all that, and you're like, wow, this guy's getting better as he goes in his age 29 season, but he's still relatively quiet. And then you get these moments in the postseason and the emotion that you saw, but then also just the big moments, like what they meant. Like we get emotion from him when he hits that huge home run, a couple of huge home runs that he had in the postseason. Then we get the great defensive play, uh, much better for him defensively and hard to believe that a guy could improve going from age 28 to 29. He did. And now he has this moment on the stage. And of course, that's going to be a T-shirt. And you're right. These these fans are going to go nuts. And that's been the best part of this for me, quite honestly. A couple of things that I really enjoyed. Obviously, you love seeing the guys win, the organization do their thing. That's incredible. Uh, but it is this fan base in particular. 
that have been here for so long and have sat there and had the heartbreak of 2010, 2011, and then have to look at the Houston Astros go on a ridiculous run, feel like they were probably going to lose that ALCS, right? When you lose to a team all the time and you get in that position, you can't help it. You can't help it as a fan to think, gosh, darn it, man, we're gonna, they're going to beat us again. And it was the first time they ever met in the postseason, but just in general, what they had seen throughout. And to have that moment, like I told you, that felt like the World Series to me when they beat the Astros and did it so handily in game sixes and seven, excuse me, game six and seven was was incredible. Um, but then to go out, win the whole thing. So now they can say it. There is no, we haven't won a championship yet. So you have that from all these longtime fans. And you, you and I talk about this a lot, but all the staff, the coaches, everything they have to go through, uh, what this uh, playoff share is going to mean that a full World Series share for these guys is going to be life-changing for so many staff members. Uh, that is really cool. I love that. I love the real effect um, for real people in the World Series, right? Millionaires are going to be champions. That's cool. They get their rings. These guys are stars. Not all of them are stars, right? It's really cool for some guys that aren't. But there are some life-changing moments here. A lot of videos that were going around seeing older Ranger fans and their, you know, their kids or somebody in their family taping them with watching the last out and all the tears that flow. To me, that's that's the greatness of this uh, World Series. We had Tom Grieve on Loud Outs yesterday. Tom Grieve was drafted by the Washington Senators. That's where they started. Yeah. In 1966, he is basically a lifelong Ranger. He left a little bit uh, to play for a couple other teams, but he is a Ranger. He is Mr. Ranger, uh, started there, I mentioned in 66, played there for a while. Uh, eventually, when his career was done, uh, went into the front office, eventually became the general manager, and then he was their lead broadcaster on television from 1995 until 2022. He retired last year. Tom Greaves going to get a World Series ring. Tom Greaves deserves a World Series ring. These are the things that are awesome. Like, it's cool for the players, uh, no doubt. And for them, they get to cement their legacy and for Seager wearing an, uh, winning an MVP in the World Series for the second time. All that is awesome. Uh, but the lifelong memories for these fans – and for the ones that have been in and the organization that have been in this thing and given it everything they had, um, I love it. You know, I'm I'm in this small kind of private community group on Twitter of Ranger fans that were nice enough to let me in there. That um, that is that room is insane. You go in there like when they were four and sixteen, they're miserable, miserable. They hate their team. They're mad. It's just raw emotion, right? It's not real true feelings. They're ready to give up. Tired of this. All that kind of stuff. And to see their reactions and come out on the other side, man, that's <laughs> what I love about this World Series. As much as the games were awesome, the moments were awesome, the world got introduced to Adolis Garcia, um, these fans and these longtime employees and those that have put their blood, sweat, and tears into the Texas Rangers, those are the people I'm most happy for. Well, I, I have a couple takeaways from, to your point about Texas, after this thing was all said and done. First off, I think we have a surprise powerhouse forming out of Texas. Like it, it didn't feel like it was going to be this year, even though they made a bunch of moves over the last couple of years. Like we, we didn't see Jacob DeGrom in the world series. They didn't even yeah. use him. Um, but not a good like, version of Max Scherzer, right? No, like an old one. Uh, but it, it was Evan Carter's going to be a dude. I mean, like that, like there's a possible rookie of the year. Josh Young is a dude. Uh, you know, the, the return of, of a Dolly snacks here who almost hit 40 homers, uh, this season, we know Marcus Simeon. I don't think he repeats what he did uh, a year ago. He just set a, a, a major league record mm. in plate appearances in a season. Crazy. He had eight, 835 plate appearances in a full season, That's which so broke... insane. Dude. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, Lenny Dykstra was in 1993. He had the record with 833. So you have to, I mean, you have to run the gamut. Mm. which is what the Rangers did this postseason. So you can't even tell me that, well, you know, the Rangers didn't really go through 
you know, a, a tough task. I was like, BS. They were on the road. They took down the Tampa Bay Rays at home. They took down the Baltimore Orioles. They didn't lose a game, a single game on the on the road this postseason. 11-0. That will never be done. They took down the Houston Astros. And then they played the Arizona Diamondbacks, where I know nationally, and I've said this, nationally, this World Series is never going to rate very high. Mm. And it kind of bothered me because even though last year's World Series was, was really compelling, this year's World Series was really well played. Like there is a lot of it was like game one of the World Series is an instant classic. Game five, the game they clinched, even though it got lopsided at the end, it was a nothing, nothing game in the seventh inning. There was a no hitter going on. And like how the Rangers got out of traffic, very first inning. I mean, there's first and third, one and out. Bochi's playing infield in. Like there, like there was zero margin for error for the Rangers, and they were able to survive. And like game five was an awesome, awesome game. But my point was, is the national audience was like, oh man, we really wanted Philadelphia in the National League, you know, pennant. I was like, hold on a second. The Diamondbacks are giving you a glimpse into the future of what baseball looks like. Hmm. Baseball is going to look a little bit more like the demon, like the Diamondbacks versus teams like the Phillies or the Mets. And the reason why I say this is, yeah, Rangers top five in payroll, they were number four. But we've noticed that young athletic players and some of these guys that are on the field, can you have superstars? Absolutely. But you need the impact players like a Josh Young, like a Evan Carter, uh, you know, like a Josh Sport, right? Like you have you have to have impact. And so, like, my next guess is as I'm walk, looking around the league, who can play solid defense, who's athletic, who can pop homers, it feels like next year's World Series is going to be the Cincinnati Reds versus possibly the Texas Rangers again. Mm. And there's going to be a disappointment because, oh, no, it's another small market team. It's not about the small market. It's about the style of play that's being played. And, like, yes, I fully see and understand why there's East Coast bias. I get it. It's just, it's hard to watch West coast games because of time. It's not, it's not that they're so naive to not say, Hey, the, you know, West coast baseball stinks. Like there's no good players there. It's just, they're not awake to watch it. So I understand East coast bias, but that's why it's kind of frustrating is that you, you had a compelling world series with arguably the best teams in the sport at that time. And they are going to look more like the Diamondbacks. They'll look more like Baltimore. They'll look more like Cincinnati. It'll look more like Texas or Tampa Bay versus super teams that are put together like the Mets or the Padres or the Yankees. And so, like, I don't think you're going to see a powerhouse team get their stuff together until they reassess and use younger players and and kind of have more of a holistic approach to what these teams are able to accomplish because that's exactly what happened yeah. with the Rangers and and the Diamondbacks. It's a great point and it's a fascinating topic for me because you know the Yankees are a good example, right? We talked about last offseason, where do they go? Well, they went to Carlos Rodon and they went to Aaron Judge and Judge missed some time. Rodon 
hurt most of the year and just couldn't quite get it going. And you're locked in. I mean, you're locked in right there. There's over $500 million in two players. And I got it. The Rangers did the same thing, uh, but guys that could not be productive, they had a lot of guys fall off. And when you're kind of, you have your hands tied to some degree because you have too much invested at the very top. And again, I get it. The Rangers put a lot at the top, but they had everything else to back it up. And that's what a lot of these other teams, unfortunately did not have. Now in the case of the Dodgers, I mean, how deep you can go with, uh, injuries, the brutal Julio Urias story. I mean, those, you know, there's only so much you can plan for uh, to some degree, but I think you bring up a good point. And then once we get to, I think we'll get there eventually where we're going to eight in each league, like we did in 2020, going to the postseason, uh, then it just really becomes about get in, figure out a way to get in good enough to get in, but then build for the postseason. And hopefully, hopefully you're healthy, uh, but you need that production the rest of the way from uh I talked about a lot during the regular season with the Rangers and there was those pre-arbitration players Adolis Garcia Jonah Heim you mentioned Josh Young Evan Carter a lot of that was happening for the Texas Rangers and the guys they brought in cheap Will Smith was huge for a while I know he struggled on a stretch but he's very important for the first three months of the season they're not there without him Robbie Grossman had periods where he was a huge contributor guy who came in very late very inexpensive like you got to get those right which brings me to the point I wanted to ask you about, which is, okay, we know how difficult it is to repeat, even going to the World Series in back-to-back years. The Astros did it in 21 and 22, uh, but even though they had been in all those straight, what was it, seven straight LCSs, uh, two World Series there, and only once did they actually appear in the World Series uh, in back-to-back years. It is a real challenge. And I wonder for the Rangers, they don't have a lot necessarily to address. Jordan Montgomery's a big free agent. Um, Mitch Garver's a big free agent as far as guys that contributed. Uh, But other than that, for the most part, they're in a really good position. If you're running the Rangers and you come off of a pretty improbable run, I mean, let's be honest, the season ended. I'm like, they're not going to win. There's no way. Like, this is not good right now. Unfortunately, they're a streaky team and they're walking into the postseason down, right? They just lost three out of four. They lost the division last day. This is probably not it. And what do they do? Boom. They go on a straight seven game run and win seven straight, including the first two in the ALCS. Then they lose three straight. It was just, it was all crazy. And then they only lost one game. They went six and one the rest of the way, and they win a World Series. But the idea of repeating is so difficult. And now that you have it, and we see how this thing can can unfold, depending on how you're playing and just kind of getting going at the right time, do you go big? Right? They're already in a pretty good spot. Again, again, Montgomery's a big piece, I think. He was very important. He's a free agent. But I wonder, I think if the Rangers lost, that's what I'm kind of getting at. If they lost, if they got beat by the Astros and they lost this World Series, they're probably going really heavy on their bullpen. I think they're throwing a ton of money at Josh Hader. Because they won, because repeating is near impossible, hasn't been done since 98, 99, and 2000 with the Yankees. Do you kind of maybe, I don't say play a conservative, but not go over aggressive because you have the ring and you still, you're going to have a competitive team no matter what. And you're not feeling the pressure of having a monster offseason to get over the hump, say, past the Astros, because you did get past the Astros and you did win a World Series. All right. That, that is a fantastic question, CJ. So Thanks, on that on that note, I will take you back to 2007 when we were with the Rockies. We get to the World Series. We have an unbelievable run. The offseason, you're expecting, like, okay, now we have Troy Tulowitzki, we have Matt Holiday, we have Brad Hoff, we have Garrett Atkins, uh, we have Chris Ionetta, we have all these players that are now, you know, no longer role players, they're established. And what the Rockies did was their role players, their bench guys, the the next wave, that next tier of depth, they moved on from it. So they moved on from a Yorvi Toriapa, who is the primary catcher down the road. 
They moved on from Latroy Hawkins, who was a really important bullpen arm. They moved on from certain players that weren't the core, but were for like part of the, the margins. And after doing that, the fabric of what made that run really special was not there. You still had the meat and potatoes, but you were missing all the extra, the, 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 you know, the garnishes and the sauces, like you missed it. And so we didn't go to the postseason the next year and our talent was more than capable of doing it. So my point was that off season for the Rockies, if they would have been more aggressive, Mm -hmm. if they would have kept, you know, or surveyed the clubhouse, which are the pieces that you cannot live without? Like, give me those. You would have heard Latroy Hawkins, your Vittorio Alba, make sure you pay the money to get them back. And then you go and say, what else can we do? Well, maybe it's not a top for agent, but maybe it's additional depth for a starting pitcher. Maybe it is that extra pinch hit batter off the bench that just, you know, uh, it makes better what you already have. Mm. So in the case of the Rangers, I would make sure that I still have an Austin Hedges. I would make sure that maybe it's not Will Smith, but damn, three straight different teams, three straight World Series for Will Smith. Never been done before in any major sport. You know, find out that guy was a huge piece uh, for yeah. the Rangers. You also have to understand that the reality is if Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager get hurt at any point, you are you are not the same team. You are not the same team. So mm-hmm. how do you back that up? What kind of players are out there to back up Simeon and Seager if one gets hurt for an extended period of time? Yeah. So I don't think you can take the conservative approach. I think you have to remain extremely aggressive. That's just based on what I've gone through without taking away from the fabric of what makes that team unique. It could be these guys tell you, we have to have Mitch Garver back, Mm. have to have him back. And you think so? Well, I I mean, like I saw the way that he was with his team. Yeah, he's great. And I'm with you. I like him a ton. I, you know, him in particular in that DH spot, they have Wyatt Langford, their draft pick from last year, who went off in 200 plate appearances after the draft went off. And he looks like he's really close. And you have Evan Carter, Leody Tavares, and Adolis Garcia all coming back and all cost controlled. Uh, Garcia is going arbitration for the first time, expected to make about six and a half million. Maybe this postseason gets him a little bit more than that. And now you have Langford. You have four outfielders right now that look at, as if they're going to be very productive. I wonder about alternating that DH spot a little bit. I wonder about, I want to get your thoughts on Evan Carter against lefties, right? It hasn't been, wasn't good. They don't give him too many opportunities. Can he fix that enough to be an everyday player right away? Or is there something going on there where, where Lankford helps? I love Mitch Carver. Please don't get me wrong. But I'm wondering because of Lankford coming, and I think everyone feeling pretty good about that, that's an area where they can now add another cost control player, maybe even get potentially an upgrade in the DH spot. You know, when Seager first got hurt and came back, he had some DH at bats. Like that's that's and Garver's not a bad catcher either. Uh and he, you know, he could be that guy. I don't know what they want to do backup catcher-wise either. That's the other thing. But um, I wonder about that. He, I, I'm with you on all the things that you said, but if I'm trying to be objective and take the emotion out of it, I think they can fill that spot without Mitch Garver. Sure. And that's the problem that, yeah. that is the problem is if you, if you just are looking for upgrades, you, you missed what made it special. And that was my last little take takeaway from the world series. Do not underestimate what Bruce Bochy means to games. Yeah. <laughs> Four world series titles is not on accident. And 
I witnessed it firsthand. I think as I watch this game and I think of other managers, I mean, I, I come from the school of Tori Lovello. So I, I love the guy. Yeah. Um, I watched Dusty Baker get outmaneuvered. I watched Tori Lovello get outmaneuvered. Uh, I watched Brandon Hyde get outmaneuvered. Uh, I watched Kevin Cash get outmaneuvered by Bruce Bochy. It's real. It is real. There is there is a real. You can see it when it's happening. You could you. I mean, there there were times where I was like, "Damn, Bochy!" Like, hmm. I know you're a step ahead of the game, but it feels like you're like a half of a step <laughs> of the game, not four steps ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, with especially with some of the. Uh, like late indecisions on on bullpen changes, as as good as I think he is. However, watching Tory, we're listening to some of the decision making that comes down from front offices, and I'm not pushing back saying that the the you know analytics department or anything is is not correct because I do believe in it. Uh, I I fully believe in it. It's just funny when you see how if you do have you know a pre plan or any sort of thing that you're like, Hey, we're going to do this followed by this based on the numbers. And Bochy knows those numbers, but he's like, no, I I think I could do it one more inning or no, Mm -hmm. I've had enough. Like his gut and eyeballs because he's won over 2000 games and he's been through multiple world series runs. You can't like there's a, you can't compete against that unless yeah. you have that built in. You know what I'm saying? So like, even with Boach still with the Rangers, I would take Boach over any manager in baseball, even as much as I love Craig Council. Like Council is my favorite manager. Yeah, I just watch Boach outmaneuver every manager in in the American League. You can't. The experience cannot be understated how important it is because you see it in his decision-making. I've said it all year long, get to watch him for a full year. The thing that really jumped out to me is that when it came time to make a decision, he made that decision with conviction and wasn't worried about hurting anybody's feelings, going with his eyes and being like, nope, that's it. And he never felt like he was a hitter too late. And that's hard to say over the course of a full season. There was never that time where I'm like, oh, wow, I'm surprised. You know, he's going to let this guy go a little bit longer and then get burned by it. It was always, in, if anything, the opposite, right? Times where he was going to be ahead of it. Uh, and the conviction in which he made those decisions, again, is just really what stuck out. You'll hear a lot about the clubhouse and the calmness and what that means. And we knew all that coming in. Seeing the fiery, competitive part of him was also, not that it was a surprise, but I was like, oh, it is animated. It's real. And he knew it, too. He'd ride his coaches hard as players as well. I told you a lot about watching these rookies come in and getting thrown right in the fire. And he's one of those guys, and I've played for managers like this and really good ones that once you know they make decisions on you relatively quickly. Can I trust you or can I trust you? And if I can't trust you, i got to move on to the next guy, and you're not going to get an opportunity in a big spot unless we were just completely out of players at that point, and I have to. Uh, Joe Torre was like that. you know, And obviously, Joe Torre was ex- extremely successful. He had his big guys, but when it came to the next secondary group, um, you were either in or you were out. And he was either in or out on you. And that's how Bruce Bochy uh, is. And that's a big reason why it could be a little bit harsh at times, but a big reason why he has been successful as he's been. You have to be, you have to be that convicted. Uh, and the players is, love him for it. Yeah. That's, that's the what. that's the last thing you have to recognize. Like as much as you think it, it, it hurts the players, it does at that moment. Yeah. Until you win. Until yeah. you win it at all. And then they're like, damn, dang. Okay. So 
like, and we get this as parents. We want every single one of our kids to, you know, get a trophy and to be successful and to win. But that's not how you do it. Yeah. Sometimes the the harsh reality, the cold truth is that sometimes your kid or this player is not going to be able to get it done right now. And it doesn't mean I, I lost faith in you. I just can't use you at this moment. I have to use a better option because it's not about just you. Mm. It's about the rest of the whole thing. And it was funny hearing players like Andrew Heaney got yanked after two thirds of an inning yeah. in a game against the Astros. And you would think he would just go sulk and pout. He's like, dude, I was terrible. And who was, who was the game six winner in the World Series? Throwing five innings. Yeah. Is Andrew Heaney. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, and you're right, because getting the guys on board, um, you mean the game four winners? Game five. Sorry. Was the last game. Of all the last game. Yeah, game four. Game four was Andrew yeah, yeah. Heaney. Yeah, and, and there was times where he did that to him, and he looked he looked a little upset, which is okay, right? Because you want guys to be ultra competitive and want to be in there. But when you when the, when your manager respects you, even if he makes harsh harsh decisions against you, and you feel like you're being treated fairly, and there's that little bit, I know he cares about me, and I know what the motivation is. Uh, it's easier to accept it. Set up for you know ever. I got to play for the Braves briefly, but you look at the Braves and Bobby Cox's era, and I'd say the same thing with Brian Snicker. You don't see guys leaving there throwing darts on the way out even if it didn't go their way because they knew they were respected and treated well. And you knew the team was behind you and your manager was behind you. And even though he had to make some tough decisions, you're, you're okay with it because you know what their intent is. and know it's not personal. Um, and it's not always easy to keep 26, 26 guys happy. It's just not. Um, and it's part of it. And it's not to say all 26 were happy, you know, at times when roles changed, no, all, no. a bunch of starters went into the bullpens, a bunch not like one or two, right? It was John Gray. It was Dane Dunning. It was Andrew Heaney, Cody Bradford. Martin Perez. Martin Perez, who had a career year last year, was an all-star. Like at times say, sorry, you're not getting it done. You're going to the bullpen. And doesn't mean you're going to be thrilled about it, but because of the way you're treated, you still go about your business as a professional. We saw that with some consistency. Who, Spilly, must make the wise decision to sign Will Smith so they can win a World Series? Three straight years for Will Smith with three different teams, the Braves, the Astros, and the Rangers. What do you buy? Do you buy into it at all? He was very impactful for a while and then kind of fell off. It's never been done before. Uh, what's your uh, belief in the lucky uh, rabbit's foot known as Will Smith? Yeah, I, I would, if I was Will Smith, I would just say I'm taking a one-year contract every year for the rest of my life. One year, 10 million bucks. Whoever wants me can come get me because you're going to the World Series. So I would you know, like if you're Seattle, you're like, damn, I'm doing that. If you're the Angels, I'd be like, if I'm Will Smith, listen, this doesn't work for every team. <laughs> let's let's not get ourselves. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. I saw Will Smith and he was he was bragging about it. He was yelling at Scherzer uh, at the end of the night. Scherzer's like, let's go. And Will's like, hey, three in a row, Max, three in a row. That's incredible. It really is incredible. I did see Ray Davis, uh, the majority owner with the Texas Rangers, talking about you know the idea of opening a window, wanting this to continue, not feeling like it's your last one. I will say watching this postseason just kind of reminded me how difficult it really is to win a World Series, and especially in today's game. We went into the season, you and I thinking, you know, Padres, Blue Jays, right? It was maybe the Padres looking like after their offseason, they were going to be a juggernaut. Juggernauts really don't exist in our game right now, which is great. And so you got to get in there 
got to have some things go your way. You got to have the right pieces in place, the right guys healthy. Not that everybody was healthy for the Rangers, obviously with Max Scherzer and then losing Adolis Garcia and not having the good version of, of Chapman. Not sure what you could do there, right? There's a lot has to go right in order to win it. Nothing is guaranteed. They've enjoyed every moment of this. Some estimations of it. At first, I had heard maybe 100,000, maybe 250. Now they're saying perhaps 500,000 people there today uh, to watch that parade because you just never know when you're going to get that opportunity again. Even though we look at this team and the bulk of it is back outside of your DH, uh, it's crazy to think, and uh, we'll see what they do. I'm excited to see what they're going to do here in the offseason, how hungry they are, how aggressive, because it's been a ridiculous you know, two offseasons. And the money that they have spent and the trade deadline, for that matter, um, very curious to see where Jordan Montgomery is and if they're going to push hard to bring him back for a team right now that has a what should be an opening day rotation of Nate Ovaldi, Max Scherzer, John Gray, Dane Dunning, and Andrini. And that's without Jacob DeGrom was due back in August. And you need that depth. It's You know it's not going to work out where everyone's going to be healthy. Uh, but I wonder if they're going to try to get uh, uh, try to get uh, Jordan Montgomery back in there. It's It's wild, man, but we will see. Um, but what an incredible uh, World Series. I didn't get to hear a lot of the international feeds, Billy. I didn't know how to click on it and listen to it. Um, but what about from your angle and being able to do what you and I love doing, which is sitting in that color chair and calling games, and you were with Will Fleming, a guy you'd never done games with, right? Dave Fleming. Oh, excuse yeah, me, Dave was... Fleming, not his brother Will. Dave Fleming, and um, great guy, awesome. And uh, what was it like calling a World Series from the color chair for the first time? Uh, like, uh, it's it was a pinch me moment. <laughs> you know, like grew up listening to Dodgers baseball and, you know, like you're, you're a kid in Santa Barbara that, you know, is hopefully makes it to the big leagues one day and then to finish your career. And, you know, like you get it, you, you don't know what the next thing in life is for you um, to get into broadcasting. Cause you know, apparently I was nice to some people in the clubhouse as a player and fast forward 10 years later, you, you know, you're doing a, a world series game with Dave Fleming. Uh, it was pretty surreal. And then, but, then when you, once you're in it, you're like, you're just into the meat and potatoes. You're yeah. just you're like you're trying to set up the moment, explain why this is happening here and there, and then just being a baseball fan. I think that's the most important part of of doing any sort of broadcast, especially when you're on like that type of game. I mean, we have I have zero skin in the game. I could care less if if it was the Rangers or the Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. I, I was you know I was loving on the players as much as you can. You love on the game because the games are exciting and you just love on the fact that like we are calling a world series. These are the last two teams and we're about to witness some history. It was cool. Yeah, it, it really was amazing. You did uh, great work both on Sirius XM, obviously on that international call uh, as well. Uh, what a year, man. And I cannot wait. Uh, to dig in this offseason. We'll be doing it on loud outs all offseason long. You're headed to fantasy camp next week, so we'll make sure we get a couple of podcasts in because no doubt things are going to start happening. Things have been happening a little bit, uh, but we will get into it. And I have a feeling, Spilly, we'll be talking about uh, Shohei Otani quite a bit uh, this winter and what that means. But what a great season it was. You know, we started the podcast uh, right around opening day. You and I, uh, the first title of the Loud Outs podcast, of course, now we are uh, calling it Negative War, Positive Vibes, was titled The San Diego Padres Will Win the World Series. Uh, shockingly, we got it wrong. Probably the last time we get it wrong on March 31st. This? What do you got? Hold on. I, I, well, I can, I can redeem myself. I have okay. it on October 9th. Uh-huh. We were doing all Loud Outs to power rank the final eight teams remaining. Okay. Uh, Number one on my power ranking was Texas. Number two was Philadelphia. 
Number three was the Diamondbacks. Mm. That is uh, pretty amazing. Now it's October, though. I mean, give me that list like April 1st. We'll hey, see. but I got I I ranked him correctly before a month before it finished. Not bad, not bad, Spilly. Not bad. You said the Phillies were second, though. Wouldn't the Diamondbacks yeah. have to be second for you to have that right? Well, I mean, it would have had to have been perfect. Yeah, but I didn't get it perfect. I got no. it semi right. You got a VG, buddy. Very good. Uh, we're excited. It was a great year. I, I'm still like in shock that the Texas Rangers won the World Series. To be completely honest with you, I had a blast. I took my kids to games one and two. Uh, my two oldest, then I took my youngest son to game four in Arizona. Uh, it was a couple of expensive trips, but absolutely worth it. And uh, like I said, you just never know when you're going to get that opportunity again. And so now they'll have that for the rest of their lives. And uh, certainly grateful um, that the Rangers provided that with their great play. And uh, man, oh man, hard to believe it. But they are World Series champs, and they're going to take a run. And my goodness, will that Houston Astros-Texas Rangers rivalry go up just another notch here uh, next year going forward? Spilly and I love doing the pod. We love that you guys uh, listen, support it. Uh, we see you on social media. We appreciate the comments uh, that we get. Negative war, positive vibes. Year one is in the book. The offseason is officially here. Thank you for always listening to the Negative War, Positive Vibes podcast. Have a great day. 